Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from WCS's field sites, zoos and aquarium, and their conservation partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. For over 125 years, the Wildlife Conservation Society has been protecting species and their habitats across the globe, all the while inspiring visitors to care about conservation at the Bronx Zoo and WCS's other wildlife parks in New York City. Recording these efforts is the focus of the WCS Library and Archives. Nat Moss recently spoke to Archive Director Madeline Thompson to learn how she and her team are working to preserve a rich history. That Maddie Thompson earned her master's in library science with a specialization in rare books and manuscripts was not surprising. She already had a Ph.D. in English. I went to school initially to study English literature and specifically Victorian studies. And through that route, I got really interested in book collecting in the end of the 19th century. It's an era that dovetails neatly with the founding of the Wildlife Conservation Society, originally the New York Zoological Society, in 1895, and the Bronx Zoo four years later in 1899. The archives hold records from WCS's diverse global conservation programs, which now cover nearly 60 countries, as well as the dynamic history of WCS's five wildlife parks in New York City, which in addition to the Bronx Zoo include the New York Aquarium, the Central Park Zoo, the Queens Zoo, and the Prospect Park Zoo. In the archives, you'll find everything from documented changes in wildlife populations and the ecosystems they inhabit to beloved zoo ephemera like the plastic elephant key that once unlocked audio recordings at exhibits around the zoo. But for Maddie, the personal stories contained in the collection carry particular weight. I love these requests from folks who grew up coming to the Bronx Zoo or coming to the New York Aquarium, hoping to find if we have information related to a family member who worked there in the past. And I think it really speaks to how important these institutions are to people's own family histories. We hear stories from people who, you know, visited the zoo every Easter or their parents had their first date at the aquarium. With support from the Leon Levy Foundation, the archive is now restoring and digitizing old film footage drawn from more than 3,000 historical film reels. One reel captures moments from the Bronx Zoo's acquisition of two baby pandas from China from Madame Chiang Kai-shek in 1941, a fateful trip in which the pandas' voyage to New York took them past Hawaii just as Pearl Harbor was being attacked. Other reels document the work of the Department of Tropical Research. Established in British Guyana in 1916 under the auspices of Bronx Zoo founding bird curator William Beebe, the department supported a diverse array of field projects in the tropics of Latin America. Detailed illustrations of terrestrial and marine species encountered by Beebe and his staff were the subject of a 2017 exhibit at the Drawing Center in New York. There were so many terrific things about working on that exhibition. One was that it sort of brought out from some literally dark corners in our archives these really just spectacular scientific illustrations that had been done by artists who were working with the Department of Tropical Research between the 19-teens and the 1960s. We have in our collection over 2,000 of these illustrations 
and we were able to put a few dozen of those on display at the drawing center. And so just even making those accessible to people, the people who were able to come and see the show um, or the folks who saw the exhibition catalog was such a thrill. One of the exhibition's goals was to show the degree to which BB and his staff relied upon help from local people in British Guyana. They were Americans who were going into this space that was under colonial rule. They were absolutely relying on the work of local people in that space, both for their labor, but also for their knowledge of the land and of the animals there. And they were rarely acknowledging the contributions of those people. And the exhibition was an opportunity for us to address some of that and to to think about those silences in our historical record and how we can acknowledge those and be aware of them. One group for which history often accounts too little, but for which the WCS archives did not need to make up lost ground, were the female scientists who worked with Beebe. William Beebe was very encouraging of women in science and really helped to facilitate the careers of a few women um, who were working directly in the Department of Tropical Research, women like Gloria Hollister and Jocelyn Crane. This was at a time when there were very few women working in scientific roles, let alone going on field expeditions. One of the women in particular he encouraged was Rachel Carson, and Carson actually dedicated one of her books to Beebe. Beebe included in a compendium of of nature writing that he produced at one point, um, some of Carson's writing. So he really helped to support the careers of these women and used his own fame and, and celebrity to help do that. After digitizing many of the illustrations included in the Drawing Center exhibit with the help of Malcolm and Delane Strandberg, the archive is bringing that artwork to the public for purchase on shirts, mugs, and other items. We took those drawings and created a WCS archive store on Redbubble. And now if you would like a squid drawn in Bermuda in the 1930s on your shower curtain, you can have that and certainly lots of other great products too. But it really is thrilling to see these illustrations that we keep very purposefully, you know, in dark, cold spaces uh, where, where not a lot of people see them and they're now on somebody's shower curtain or on somebody's dog bandana or something like that. Looking to the future, Maddie hopes to attract more school kids to the archive to learn about primary sources and what can or cannot be assumed or understood by review of historical records. The entire process of archiving is about making choices. It's about some form of human curation from the choice of someone to make a record in the first place to someone saving the record, and then someone privileging that record in some way, maybe by talking about it on a podcast, for instance, or writing a blog post about it, you know, being in a position to sort of share out information about that record. I asked Maddie what she thinks archivists at WCS a century from now will wish she had shared, saved, and documented. Well, the question reminds me of a quote from Jeannie Chen from the National Archives. She said this a couple of years ago, and I actually have it hanging up on my wall because I love it so much. She said, there is an optimism inherent in record keeping of any kind. The work of the archivist, while rooted in the past and present, 
is performed for an imaginary future. And it, it's true. So much of the work that you're doing in an archives is you're always thinking about what, what people are going to be interested in in the future. And when I think about our own archives, I would love, particularly through oral histories, to make sure that we are trying to capture as many voices as we can uh, within the institution. You can learn more about the WCS Library and Archives at library.wcs.org. And if you're interested in having one of the archival illustrations from the WCS Department of Tropical Research on your own mug, t-shirt, or shower curtain, follow the link in the podcast description for this episode. For WCS Wild Audio, this is Nat Moss. Today's episode was produced and reported by Nat Moss, with help from Hannah Kaplan and Dan Rosen. The WCS Wild Audio Podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Please join us next week for a new episode, and don't forget to rate or review the show wherever you get your podcasts.